This right. is an eight iron, and it's a dead shank. Wow. Way right. Oh, Takes a hop off the path. You gotta be kidding me. Very tough pitch shot right here. You gotta hit it into the hill. One hop up and bite, and it's in. Kind of like that. Hey everyone, it's Jason from the Sub 70 Podcast, and the golf season is not that far away. For all of your golfing needs, we hope you visit www.golfsub70.com. We have forged irons, game improvement irons, drivers, uh, hybrids, wedges, all milled putters, the best of the best, and at factory direct prices, and everything is handcrafted and built in Sycamore, Illinois, and sent out directly to you. So for all of your golfing needs, please check out Sub 70 Golf. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the podcast with Kelk. Well, I would like to welcome back to the Sub-70 podcast, our very first guest we ever had on, 13-time PGA Tour winner and also the winner of four Champions Tour events, Mark Kelkovecchia. Mark, thanks for coming back to the podcast. Greatly appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure, Jason. Thanks for having me. So how's the off-season going? How's the body feeling? Are you getting the practice in that uh, you sort of need to do to be uh, ready for the 2019 season? It's been uh, it's been a fun off season. I didn't uh, I didn't play any golf in November, like none. Uh, I took forty three days off entirely from the game, and then uh, kind of played off and on in December. And uh, the last month or so, I've been trying to do some exercise, kind of like last year, and uh, been doing some practicing. So I feel pretty good uh, physically. Kind of excited to get ready to go to Hawaii next week. Uh, so uh, the game feels pretty good. Uh, felt like my short game was a little bit shaky, so I've been doing some work on that. Uh, so getting excited to uh, get cranked back up for uh, uh, for the start of the season next week. Do you go back and look at your stats? Do you use those as sort of metrics of where you need to potentially improve on, where is really solid? You know, how much in the details of the numbers do you get into when you're sort of assessing how your season went? I'm I'm not as uh, as technical as a lot of guys, but. Uh, you know, I, I do kind of go back and think, think kind of where I screwed up last year. Uh, you know, I did kind of have an unfortunate thing happen. I, I broke my big toe after uh, Sunday night after Houston, and that, that slowed me down for a couple of months. Uh, so that was a little bit unfortunate because I was really starting to play well uh, with a couple of top tens at at, uh, at Branson and Houston. And then, uh, you know, it happened right before two majors. So that that was kind of unlucky. Uh you know, and I, I was kind of inconsistent. I, I had stretches where I, I putted good and stretches where I putted awful. And then my short game was good and then it was bad. And then, uh, you know, and I think that comes a little bit with age. Um, so I, I thought I need to, uh, I think, put more time in on my short game. Uh, my bunker game wasn't as good as I'd liked it to be. So, I, you know, I think I was like 47th in sand saves and, and I should be better than that out of the sand. Uh, and I think a little of that comes with, with putting too. Uh, you know, if you, you blast out eight, 10 feet or six feet or whatever, you know, you got to make those and you're not going to make all of them, but, uh, so I need to be a little bit better, uh, uh, consistently, uh, chipping, putting and, and short game. So, uh, I, I did look at that, uh, up and downs, that sort of thing. So uh, I'm going to put some more work on, uh, in on that this year and, uh, hopefully, uh, improve in that area. Any equipment changes for 2019 season? Anything new in the bag? And uh, if so, what changes are you making? 
No, nothing really, which is unusual for me. Uh, I've got a new Epic Flash driver, uh, which isn't anything earth-shattering. It's uh, you know very similar to the old Epic or the or the Rug, uh, the Callaway driver. Uh, I guess uh, Xander Shoffley used one last week uh, to you know to win at uh, uh, at Kapalua. Uh, and it, it's a, it's a great driver, but you know, the rug was a great driver. The old Epic was a great driver. Uh, you know, and I still got my ping driver that I love. So, uh, and other than that, I'm using, uh, uh, same irons as last year, uh, same wedges. So nothing, uh, uh, nothing different. Uh, I didn't love the new Titleist ball. So I'm going to stick with uh, the ball I used last year. Um, so pretty much everything's, uh, the same in that regard. Are the, I've talked to some other guys on this and it's, and I guess I'm. This is more for the Champions Tour. Are the are the club contracts changing to the point where, if you do sign a deal, they want all 14 clubs, the ball, the whole nine yards? And is there sort of a dividing line in the sand where it's just not worth it? Where you would rather have the equipment, you would rather that you're totally comfortable playing from all 14 clubs and the ball that you want versus, you know, signing with one company that would make you play everything. Well, on our tour, there really isn't such thing as a club contract. Uh, you know, that's that's a PGA Tour thing and a uh, you know a top fifty player in the world type thing. Uh, there, there's there's no, I mean, there's you know three or four guys with paying still on our tour, but it's not like they're getting you know paid a, a whole lot of money. Uh, quite honestly, you know, they've got to play twelve clubs, I think, uh, including a driver and a putter. So, you know, I left paying at the end of 2016. And at that point in my career, when I was 56, I thought, well, maybe I might want to explore what else is out there. You know, after playing ping for 32 years, maybe it's time to hit uh, another driver or, and try some other irons and try some other putters and stuff. Uh, just just because I was kind of getting on in my career and it'd be kind of fun to do. Um, you know, but... You know, the younger guys, uh, you know, when they sign a, a club contract, you know, I doubt it's for all 14 clubs. It might be for 12. I think 12 seems like a, a number, but a lot of them, you know, they do want you to play their driver and they do, you know, if they make putters, they want you to use their putter because those are the two most visible clubs uh, and their irons, of course. Uh, a lot of them don't care about fairway woods uh, because, uh, you know, almost nobody can tell, tell what fairway woods you're using. Uh, so I think that's kind of the... Uh, uh, the standard of, uh, of of a club contract. Yeah, and it's definitely it just seems it's changed. Like I said, even on the PGA Tour, where once Nike kind of got out of it, the 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 guys say, like you said, fiftieth on the money list on down. You're seeing a lot of those guys just playing what they want to because the money's just not worth it. Versus not having the exact clubs that you want. It's sort of interesting over the last say five years how it how it even you know has changed on the PGA Tour. So it's an interesting topic. Yeah. Last last year we talked about what a victory would mean for you in the 2018 season after, you know, coming off back surgery and, and, you know, what that means to win again. And you did that this year at the Boca Raton championship. It had been since 2015, since you last won. How satisfying was that to get back at the top again and have a victory and especially doing it over, you know, Bernhard Langer going down that stretch and going against the best that's out there. Oh, it did mean a lot. Uh, you know, especially, uh, you know, right down the road from home, uh, it was a tournament that uh, I, I, I had in the grasp of my hands uh, way back in 2011 that I let slip. Uh, I, I played well there in the past, so uh, to, to have a, a, a good chance to win it again and finally get it done there, uh, you know, felt great. Uh, 
especially winning early in the year, it, you know, kind of sets up your whole year. And like, like I said, unfortunately I had the, the, the toe incident that slowed me down for a few months and, uh, some other inconsistencies that kind of set in, which again, again, I think for most people, uh, at, at my age kind of can set in, uh, with my back problems and whatnot, but, uh, it, it was a lot of fun and it felt great. And, uh, does give me faith, uh, you know, only being a year older that, uh, that I can still do it again. And, uh, you know, looking forward to that tournament here again in, uh, uh, three weeks. So, uh, I'll be, uh, I'll be totally psyched to defend, uh, defend it, that tournament in three weeks. That back nine was pretty crazy. I was watching it of the back and forth and then some great shots and then longer sort of, you know, didn't play his best on the last couple of holes, which was interesting. You took advantage of it. That was a crazy back nine. Um, I mean, you made some clutch putts when you needed it. And, you know, have you ever seen a tournament kind of finish like that of, you know, some great play and then some shaky play, then some great play all within like a nine-hole period? Yeah, it was It was a crazy back nine. And the way the wind was blowing, I knew the last uh, play team's a pretty easy hole, but I knew the whole, uh, the whole enchilada was going to come down to 14, 15, 16, and 17 which were pretty much straight back into the wind. And uh, that, that's pretty much what happened. Uh, and I knew if I could just par those holes, uh, I was going to, I was going to be in good shape <laughs> and I would have been, but uh, that wasn't the case. And then, uh, and I didn't know this at the time, but Bernhard uh, over the years has had a, a very difficult time with the 17th hole, especially the green. I guess he's missed a lot of five and six, uh, seven foot putts on that green, uh, over the years for, for whatever reason, he just, uh, isn't very comfortable on that green. And, uh, you know, he hit a great drive and, and hit a, a, a bad iron shot for him and a, and a average bunker shot to about six feet and then just a terrible putt. And it, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was surprising to me. And then, uh, you know, he got kind of unlucky in his drive in 18 and I hit a good one and then he kind of hit a, a bad shot and, you know, it's unusual for Bernhardt to do that because he, he rarely does that. But it was, uh, you know, I was the lucky recipient of that, and I'll certainly take it. The road trip this summer. We I was following this on Twitter, so I have to ask you about it. So for the listeners, uh, you, you played in the Dominion Energy Charity Classic in Virginia, and then you cross-countryed uh, in the RV out to Southern California at the Invesco Championship. So if I got this right, you and Brenda yeah. essentially drove across the entire United States. Uh, how many miles was that? How long did it take? And then, man, there's got to be some interesting st- stories of RVing it across from one golf tournament to the next uh, to make the next start. I don't think I've ever seen, you know, I follow quite a few guys on Twitter. I don't think anyone, I've seen anybody road trip it that far from one tournament to the other. So how did that come about and what was that adventure like? Well, it was certainly an adventure, and the, the whole idea, the plan was to, uh, you know, play good in Virginia and uh, and and uh, at Sherwood, uh, and then obviously make the Schwab Cup Finals at Phoenix, uh, and we had the week off in between, so we thought we'd just make a nice little six-week trip out of it, uh, with with the whole issue being driving from uh, Richmond, Virginia, to. Uh, to LA in two and a half days to get there in time for the Thursday pro-am. Uh, but sure enough, uh, I did it and, uh, Brenda doesn't drive the thing. So I had to drive the whole way and it was, uh, it was about 2,400 miles. And we got there, uh, we left Sunday night after, uh, after play in Richmond, uh, drove about 250 miles that night and about 900 the next day and about 800 the next day and about 
500, 600 the next day and got there, pulled in uh, to the Malibu Beach RV park at about uh, uh, three o'clock on Wednesday and uh, and made my pro-am time uh, the next morning, no problem. Uh, actually, I didn't feel too bad and played pretty good in the pro-am, but uh, didn't play very good in the tournament and, and didn't putt very good. And uh, sure enough, as it turns out, uh, I missed the Schwab Cup finals by what, what amounted to uh, one shot uh, better somewhere along the line, uh, uh, 6,000 bucks. So, I mean, if, if I'd have finished, uh, well, a couple shots better in Richmond would have done the trick, but that was frustrating. So we, we drove to uh, Palm Springs to an amazing RV park there for a couple of days, the motor coach country club and saw some friends there. And then, uh, and then spent a week in Phoenix anyway, and hung out with some friends there and saw my kids and, uh, had a good week there. And then, uh, and just took our time and drove back to, uh, Jupiter, Florida. So yeah, it was about a, uh, almost a 6,000 mile road trip, uh, for a couple of golf tournaments. But, uh, the good news is I like, to, I like to drive and we like our motor home. So I was going to say, you uh, got, got, got to see the country, that, yeah, right? That, that trip won't be made again. That, that was a one, that was a one-time deal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> ne- next time the net jets flights probably will be picking you up in Virginia and hire somebody else to drive the thing back to Florida. Right. It's a simple way of doing it. But, yeah. Or, or we'll just, uh, we'll hop on Delta. That'll be the, that'll be the next best plan. How did you come about of making the decision that it makes the most sense to RV it to every event. Cause I'm assuming for years you used to fly from event to event and, and how many other guys are sort of doing, I know daily has a, uh, an RV does it full time. Is there quite a few guys out there who do it in the method that you do it in for the traveling? Not too many guys on our tour. Uh, two of our tour officials do, uh, and Tim Petrovic, uh, as a Prevo as well. And, uh, he's had one for quite a few years. Um, there's several guys on the PGA tour that do it. Uh, but a lot of them don't drive. Uh, you know, they they fly in private. They have drivers that drive their bus in, get it set up. You know, then they fly in private. You know, stay in their bus, and then they fly back out private. Have the driver drive the bus to the next stop. That sort of deal. But uh, you know, to me, that kind of ruins the experience of uh, of RVing and, and and camping and or as we call it, clamping. But uh, but it, it it kind of all started about ten years ago. Uh, my wife, Brenda, is not a good flyer, uh, never has been, hates flying, and uh, uh, she would much rather drive anywhere uh, than, than fly. So we uh, we rented a bus uh, for a month, and we pretty much knew the first week that we rented uh, rented it that, uh, that we liked it and then that I liked driving it. And uh, sure enough, uh, a couple weeks later, we bought our first bus, and from that point on, we were hooked. Um, matter of fact, I'm just about to make a bunch of RV park reservations for the summer. We're going to be in it from the 1st of April all the way through, uh, all the way through July. So it'll be a nice, uh, nice four month, uh, trip this summer in the bus. So we're looking forward to it. And it makes sense. It's some, you know, a home away from home, right? It's, it's comfortable. You can do it on your schedule. I can see where it makes sense to do it that way, and it's kind of a cool way to road trip around the United States. So I think it's a very cool way of going from event yep. to event. I'd, I'd be up for it. It is home on wheels. You've got everything in there. I mean, you've got your, you, you know, plenty of TV options, uh, Apple TV, Netflix, the whole deal. Uh, you know, everything in the world you can think of, and you don't have to pack and unpack, and uh, you just hop in and go and and uh, stop when you're tired and you know i always have plenty of time to get where i'm going so it's, it's not a problem 
And uh, I'm assuming the technology, I know you got a newer one this year. I mean, it has to keep getting better and better where it's more comfortable and more comfortable as each one you sort of upgrade to. It's got to make that better and better as well, I'm assuming. It's very comfortable to drive. It's, uh, it, it is. Uh, it's, it's hard to describe, but it, it, it's very stress-free. And luckily, over the years, I've learned how to fix a, a decent amount of the problems uh, that occur. And when there's something that I can't fix, and luckily, uh, knock on wood, in 10 years, I've only had one engine problem. And that happened to be in Nashville, where there's a Prevo dealership. And they fixed it in six hours. So we sat there for six hours with the dogs in the waiting room, and then off we went. And, uh, I mean, these, these engines they build and these things are designed to go a million-plus miles. So uh, they, they run fantastic. And the rest of the little issues you have, uh, if you can't fix them, uh, you know, like a, an awning might not go out or something. Not a big deal. You write it down on your bus fix load, and then when you get home from the trip, uh, you know, you bring it in and they fix it. So little stuff like that, uh, a lot of stuff I can fix, uh, fuses and things like that. And, uh, or I call up and say, okay, what happened to the, uh, you know, water heater or something? Uh, why isn't my shower hot? And they tell me how to fix it and I fix it. So, uh, stuff like that. It's kind of fun to fix and, uh, uh it's fun to keep the thing clean and, uh, scrub the love bugs off the front window and stuff like that. So it's uh, a little bit of maintenance involved in it, but it's, it's fun to do. Well, speaking of, uh, traveling, um, there's an event this year that started in Sioux Falls, South Dakota at the Sanford International. And wondering, because you're from that area where you grew up in Laurel, Nebraska, how much did you like getting back to that area to play? And what kind of fan support did you uh, sort of get there where you're not too far from where you grew up? Oh, it was great. It was, uh, yeah, 90 miles straight north of where I grew up. The weather was a little iffy. It, it rained about eight inches, uh, I think, Tuesday and Wednesday of uh, tournament week. So, and it was kind of cold. So it wasn't the best weather week, but uh, uh, I'm looking forward to going back. Uh, that, that was kind of during a stretch where I wasn't playing very well and was running out of gas a little bit. But uh, I thought the course was great. Uh, it held up really nice. I mean, we had to turn a par four into a par three one day. Uh, it was one of those deals where it was really wet. Uh, but uh, I thought they did a, a, a great job. The the tournament director, Greg Conrad, used to be with uh, the Principal Charity Classic, and uh, he does a fantastic job uh, running golf tournaments. So they're in, they're in good hands there. Uh, and looking forward to going back next year and hopefully uh, get some better weather. I'm assuming those mid-sized markets that are not going to get a PGA Tour event have to be a blast for you guys in the sense that you guys are the biggest show in town that comes in there. Do, do they have a little bit of a different vibe where that is going to be sort of you know, the event, the best golf event that, say, Sioux, you know, uh, Sioux Falls is going to see that year. Do you sort of, is there a little bit of a different buzz, I guess, when I'm asking when you're at one of those events in a, in a sort of a mid-sized market? Oh, right. I mean, exactly. That's, that's by far the biggest thing that that town's seen in years, uh, if, if not ever. Uh, it's like when we get to Endicott, New York. Uh, I mean, the, the hometown vibe there, I mean, we've been playing there for years. Uh, they just love that tournament. Uh, same thing with Flint. Uh, you know, we, we came, we played, we started back playing there this year and the, the crowds were huge there. Same with Sioux Falls. Uh, they just, uh, like I said, even though the weather's a little shaky, the crowds were, were humongous. And, uh, you know, Jack Nicholas and Andy North came and did a, a little, uh, nine hole exhibition. I think Annika Swornstam and Nancy Lopez were there. It was, it was fantastic. And the, and the crowds were just came out in droves to see him. So, you know, when, when, People like that show up to your uh, to your little town to uh, 
play golf and support your community, uh, yeah, they'll, they'll come out to see you. And, uh, we, yeah, we appreciate, uh, uh, the people that came out to watch us. Well, speaking of Laurel, Nebraska, I actually played the golf course this summer at uh, Cedarview as we were driving out to, uh, to play golf in Valentine at the Prairie Club, and you're right on Route 20. So I have to give your dad some Enjoy. props. I did. It's quirky fun. Um, the greens are really domed. I don't know if that's happened over time, but I would say your dad, for his first go-around designing a golf course, it's a fun nine holes right? of golf. <laughs> it is. It's good. And the par threes are actually really good. Um, it's tricky. The, the greens are very domed. And if you get on the wrong side of that, it was, uh, it was, it's a tough up and down, but it's a fun little golf course. I was really impressed thinking that, you know, when we first talked last year that your dad, without much experience, you know, pushed the dirt and moved it and made it. It, it was, it was quirky right? fun. Yeah. So props to your dad of, uh, for his first design. Very, very solid. I was impressed. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That I mean, the trees. When I started playing golf when I was a little boy, I mean, they were just twigs back then. But uh, yeah, I mean, that was. Uh, it's it's really pretty now with the trees uh, all grown up and, and and whatnot. But yeah, the little uh, little greens with the runoffs on the sides, and uh, it was it was a lot of fun. I always had a I always had a great time out there when I was little. Well, he did a good job for his first and probably only golf course. It's uh, the architecture has held up. It was fun to play. So. Um, Last couple I got. Yeah, it was it was a blast. It was really fun to see it. Um, just some hot topics for 2018, and then I've, I've got some stuff coming in 19, so I've got a couple more here if I can get your perspective, and then we'll get you out of here. But um, wondering on your uh, watching the, the rise again of Tiger Woods, and I know he's a good friend of yours, but did you ever see this level of play of coming back again and then capping it off with a, a win at the Tour Championship sort of how do you assess from him going to a thousand in the world up into the you know top twenty and and what a comeback? I'm assuming you feel the same way of everything he's been through to see him sort of you know win again and 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 be relative again on the PGA Tour. Yeah, not not only did I not see it, I don't think anybody did. Quite honestly, uh, was I don't think Tiger saw it. You know, he's, as you, as you know, and everybody knows, uh, and he didn't even know if he'd ever even play again, let alone play the kind of golf he played so uh truly amazing but but great to see uh, i know everybody was was cheering for him and rooting for him uh, i know i was uh <clears throat> and having tons of back pain uh, over the last 10 years myself it's no fun and uh you know that that was uh that was amazing it was uh, it was fun to watch uh i thought he was going to win one of those couple majors that he was uh in contention for when he hit that fairly bunker shot on 10 at carnoustie uh, and as he said, I, he said that was the whole tournament right there. If he pulls it off, you know, he thought he was going to win and he pulled it off, but, uh, then he doubled the next hole. Uh, I wish he would have hit a driver on that hole, but, uh, anyway, uh, you know, I think he could win another major too. Will he win five? <clears throat> that's, that's, that's highly doubtful, but, uh, uh, great to see him, uh, make a comeback like that. That was awesome. The Ryder cup. You've been in a few of them on both sides of the ocean here. And why do you think there is such a barrier to, or why is it so, so difficult to go over there and get the W? And as a follow-up to that, when you were playing, did they make the golf courses when you went over to Europe? Did the, did the captain have that same influence of making the golf course more advantageous in theory for the European team? Or has that been a trend that you've kind of, heard about or seen recently where the, where the captain is saying, well, I'm going to do this because it makes this better for my team. 
You know, I think it, it first started in, uh, from what I can remember, well, my, my last Ryder Cup in 02, uh, as far as the way that captain set up the course, my last Ryder Cup in 02, I swear they didn't cut the greens on the weekend. They were so slow on Sunday in the singles. Uh, and I, I watched the replay of it. We couldn't get a putt to the hole. And obviously, you know, they didn't tell us they didn't cut the greens. Uh, and they knew they didn't cut the greens. And they made a bunch of putts and got the ball to the hole. And uh, we couldn't adjust and get it to the hole. And, and I think that was, you know, that's their, that's their choice. They can do that. Uh, and then this year, it was, I mean, it was genius that the way Bjorn set up that course. Uh, you know, to make the fairway super narrow with a uh, horrendous rough, uh, you know, knowing that, uh, they were more accurate team off the tee than we were. Uh, and you know, that, that was just, a, I don't think we could ever beat them on that golf course. I really don't, uh, the way our team was last year, uh, even if we went and played them again the next week, uh, it was just such a, uh, a, a fantastic setup for them. Uh, at that golf course in France. So, uh, you know, how are we going to set up? Where's the next one? Whistling Straits? Yeah. I mean, uh, wide and open, know, right? I mean, you can only make the fairways so wide. Yeah, I mean, they're pretty wide anyway. Wide open and no rough. And, I mean, how long can you make it? So, can we make it long and wide open? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. But I, I think I think we'll have a good chance to win next time around in a couple of years. But, it's just uh, they seem to have an advantage in that event for whatever reason. They, they they seem to come together and relax and have more fun. And uh, I think that's the whole thing. They just seem to output us uh, virtually every single time. So we'll see what happens next time. Do you think the captain, knowing that they're going to make this thing narrow, slower greens, accuracy is more of a, a premium on the European side when it's on their soil, would you start looking at different captain's picks based on how you would know that course is going to be set up going in, you know, going in the future then? Do you have to look at guys who might not be the best on points but fit that style of golf course better? I would think so, yeah. I would think that would be a, a good idea. You know, I mean, if, 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 if we went back to that course in Paris and it was the same setup, yeah, would you pick somebody that can, you know, Furek should have jumped in there and then played. Well, right, yeah. I mean, if he could have, <laughs> right, right. you know, as opposed to, you know, Phil – you know, I don't think Phil was a very good uh, captain's pick for that for that track by any stretch, and he wasn't playing very good anyway. Uh, so yeah, you know, okay, I need my four straightest drivers for that course. You know, find find four guys that can hit it on a string. Kevin Kisner kind of comes to mind. You know, so yeah, it might have been a good idea to come up with four guys that can hit it uh, as straight as possible. So yeah, that 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 might have been a good idea for sure. Uh, new rules for 2019. We have the, you can now leave the uh, pin in, which Bryson DeChambeau is doing. And, and, and it sounds crazy, but have you have you thought about this? And are you practicing potentially leaving it in, putting, leaving it out? And then also the drop at the knee now. I mean, is that literally something you have to kind of practice? So if you have to drop, you can do it effectively. Uh, you know, now can you bend your knee how much, right? Then can you aim the ball a little bit better where you want it to drop within the rules? Like, do you literally have to start taking these things into consideration at this point? I haven't practiced the, uh, the ball drop yet. <laughs> I might have to try that today when I go out to the course. Uh, and as far as the pin goes, uh, I'm pretty sure there's no way I'll putt with it in. 
you know, if I'm like on the fringe, I mean, this won't change. If I'm on the fringe and I'm 40 or 50 feet away and I got a, you know, downhiller that that's pretty fast and, you know, you know, I leave the pin in anyway, hoping, you know, just in case I, I, I get a little rammy with it, you know, hoping the pin will stop it. So if I'm on the green and I got a 40 footer and it's straight downhill, I'll leave the pin in just in case it's going too fast. So hopefully it'll hit the pin and stop it. Uh, so that's no different in case I was on the fringe or whether I'm on the fringe of the green. So in that situation, I'll, I'll, I'll probably leave it in. But if I got a 15 footer, there's no way I'm going to leave it in. Uh, it just, it, that'll be weird for me. So, or a five or eight, 10 footer or whatever. Uh, and some of the other rules, uh, you know, grounding your club in a penalty area. Kurt Byron slipped up about 10 times calling it a hazard last week. Uh, so, I mean, if, if the announcer slip up calling it a hazard, I'm sure some some guys are going to slip up with a few of the rules here or there. Uh, you know, I've, I've read them 10 different times and, uh, uh, I'll probably read them again before I go out to Hawaii. Uh, although it's not too many, uh, penalty areas over there, uh, I got to worry about, but yeah, they're, they're a little awkward and some of them are a little different, but, uh, I'm sure we'll all get used to them pretty quick. Last one I got here for you, the uh, U.S. Open from 2018, you, you played in your fair share and do you like the way that they're going about setting up U.S. Opens with a wider fairway, but more, you know, the greens are more penal than ever, or do you miss sort of where driving accuracy and accuracy is a huge deal, the rough is very penal, rough around the greens, but you could still play it a little bit more, and do you think the guys are complaining too much? Um, I was talking to Tom Kite at a Champions Tour event, and he's like, you should have played them, you know, when the fairways were as narrow as we played them in the 80s and 90s, it was brutal, so what's sort of your take on the whole where the U.S. Open's going and, and the guy's reaction to it? Uh, I'm kind of with Kite a little bit. Um, I mean, all the U.S. Opens I played, uh, to me, when I think of a U.S. Open, I think of frustration uh, because I was never the most accurate driver of the ball. And when you're staring at a 25-yard wide fairway <clears throat> and I hit a good drive for me and it misses the fairway by six inches and I just grab my sand wedge, uh, I mean, that, that to me is a U.S. Open. That to me is frustration. And that's why I think I always had a hard time with U.S. Opens. Uh, and then when I think of uh, Aaron Hills, you know, what what did uh, – who won that? Kepka? What did he shoot yeah. there? 18 under or something? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's not a U.S. Open. I mean, that, that, that had no – zero atmosphere. Then you go the other way with Shinnecock. Uh, you know, that 10th hole, the boys are short, the ball rolls 60 yards down the hill. If you're long, it rolls almost to the 11th tee. Uh, the 11th hole, if you miss it left of the green, it rolls 50 yards down the 12th fairway. I, I don't really like that either. And I love Shinnecock Hills. It's like my second favorite course in the country. So I, I'm kind of leaning, leaning back to answer your question the other way of, of kind of going back to the, uh, tighter fairways, more rough around the greens, not some, not so much runoff area you know, kind of, kind of heavier, rough, uh, more, uh, more premium on driving accuracy and, uh, see what happens. Well, with Mike Davis stepping down from setting up golf courses, it'll be interesting to see, do they start to go back a little bit of a different direction? So it'll be interesting to see their setups over the next couple of years. So to be seen, I guess, uh, Kelk, thanks so much for your time today. Best of luck in 2019. Um, we'll be watching you out there and, uh, play well all season. You got it, Jason. Appreciate it. Thank you.